see a tangible example of what your generosity goes towards. Uh, This morning during our 9 a.m. worship experience, we saw six people go public with their faith through baptism. Can we celebrate that? And there's going to be even more during this worship experience, so it's exciting to get to do that. I want to talk to you today. Every baptism experience we have, I take a second and just kind of pause and teach on baptism because I think it's incredibly important for your walk and my walk as followers of Jesus. Um, But as I was starting to think about it, one of the things that I thought about this morning, um, you know anybody that has like a lot of personal preferences? So like they've got a ton of pet peeves. They've got all of these things that they kind of determine, and this is the way I like things to go. And now there's another group of people that they don't have many personal preferences and they're incredibly laid back. I like those kind of people. The truth is I'm not one of those people. I have a ton of personal preferences in my life, but there's some like general preferences that you and I may have. So one of those personal preferences would be like Apple versus Android, like the great debate of 2009. For the last 10 years, we've been debating whether or not iPhone is better than Android and it's just not, but we'll keep going. Coke or Pepsi, right? Like that's a great debate as well. Um, you know, Coke, Pepsi, uh, the only way a Pepsi is good is if it has wild cherries in it. Um, boxers or briefs, that's one of those personal preferences. Duke versus Carolina, those are personal preferences. I have some specific personal preferences, like one of those being I love to drink my coffee from an actual mug versus a paper cup or anything like that. I like my water at room temperature. I don't know if anybody else is like that. I, I have these personal preferences um, where I, if, I don't really enjoy wearing shoes, but if I have to, um, they've got to be easy to slip on and slip off. There's plenty of times if you show up at the office at Propel, you, you'll find, why is he barefoot? I just don't like shoes. Um, Another personal preference of mine is at a restaurant. Like, I prefer to have a ranch nowhere near my stuff. I hate, or I think the devil created two things, ranch and cats, and I guess you know my personal preference there as well. So, we all have personal preferences. Personal preferences are one of those things. I think sometimes we come to God's Word and we take what would be a personal preference and we insert it as if it was truth. But there's some things in Scripture that we see that aren't really about personal preference, their commands that we have. And one of those commands is about baptism. And baptism isn't about personal preference. It's all about obedience. So the question really isn't, would you like to get baptized? It's, will you be obedient to follow God through the waters of baptism? Baptism is such a big deal that as Jesus is leaving earth, giving the disciples their last assignments, this is what he says in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is telling these guys, hey, here's what you need to do to be successful. Here's the mark of what it's going to look like if you win in the area of the kingdom of God. It's going to be that you make disciples and that they follow through in baptism. That's the mark of a good follower of Jesus. I think baptism is not optional. It's a command, and some people would go, well, why? You know, it, the truth is because Jesus said so would probably be the easiest example. Others will say, I'll get around to it, but that never happens. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And so what I want to do for the next couple of moments is I want to take you and I to a passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 14, where I believe we get the first visual of what baptism really 
does. Exodus chapter 14, bring you up to speed with the story of Moses. Moses was found in the wilderness. He was walking, and God needed to get Moses' attention, so he lit a bush on fire, and he started talking through it. Truthfully, if you need to get my attention, that's a great way. So he's in there. God starts talking to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to go and stand before Pharaoh, and you're going to proclaim that my people are to be set free. And Moses is like, uh, 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 no. Like, no, I, I'm a stutterer. I, I've got all these reasons why I can't. God continues to pursue Moses, and through that, Moses does end up going. God calls Moses from the desert to go back to Egypt and stand before Pharaoh. There were people who were in captivity. God's chosen People were stuck, and Moses is now coming to proclaim freedom for them. So he goes back and forth with Pharaoh. He's having a conversation. He says, Pharaoh, God has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. You ever had God tell you to do something, and then you do it, and like the, the result doesn't? Like I thought I was going to tell you to let the people go, and you were going to go, sounds good, and it was going to be over. That's not what happens for Moses. Moses goes back and forth with Pharaoh, ultimately leading to 10 plagues. And each one of these plagues was to directly show that God's hand and God's power was bigger than the individual gods that they had of the day. And then we get to the place where Pharaoh's finally like, all right, I'll let the people go. And some scholars believe that there's around 1 million of these slaves that are leaving with Moses to leave out of captivity into what's called the promised land that God has. One million people. So if you've ever been a parent chaperone of a preschool trip, like you know there's a lot that can go wrong when you're taking a bunch of people on a journey. A million people is a really big deal. So they head out on the adventure, Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. It says this, Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. They said, why have we done this? Why have we, let the Israel, why have we let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and he took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Pharaoh in this moment was like, I changed my mind. I got to go get them. They were supposed to serve me. Why did we make this decision? What in the world's going on? Then it says that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and he overtook them by camping by the sea beside Pi-Haroth and beside Baal-Zephon. And Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel, lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. This passage of Scripture, what we see is that the Israelite people were heading to their promised land. They were heading out of captivity, out of bondage, out of slavery, and they were heading for the promised land that God had for them, where there would be, what Scripture says, it would be a land of milk and honey. There would be incredible blessing. There would be peace. There would be prosperity. It would be everything they had been looking for. So they're on a journey from their old life in captivity into the new life, and the only thing that stands in their way is a body of water. In this moment, we have the Red Sea that stopped them, and what's coming after them is their old life. They're being pursued by these Egyptians. On one side of the water, they're dead. On the other side of the water, they could see God's promises fulfilled in their life. 
On one side of, on this side of the land, there is torture, there's whips, there's chains, abuse, and slavery. But on the other side, there's freedom, promise, provision, and fulfillment of their destiny. On this side of the water, there's no freedom, there's no power, and there's no way out. The enemy wins and there's no hope. But on the other side, there's opportunity, smiles, children praying freely, playing freely in fields, and there's blessing. And the only thing that stands between their old life and their new life is a body of water. So a couple of things for you this morning. The first one is this. Some of us are living on the wrong side of the water. So here's what Scripture says. All of us have sinned. No one's righteous. We've all made mistakes. We all have sin in our life. We've, from, the, from the moment you and I enter into a dark and broken world at our core, we have a sin issue. We're stuck in captivity. We're stuck on the side of the water where there's bondage, where there's slavery, where there's the inability to move forward into new life. There's a gap between where you're at and where God wants you to be. Right. And what Scripture shows us is that is sin. That's not just sin for some of us, that's sin for each and every single one of us. If you have breath in your lungs, the truth is you have sinned against God at some point and therefore cannot enter into new life without something taking place. And we'll talk about that in a second. So we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. Some of us are living on the wrong side of the water. But the truth is some of us have given our life to Jesus and we're still stuck on the wrong side of the water. Like there's bondage that you still currently have. You're much like the Israelite people. You're living in Egypt. You've been chosen by God, called out, appointed, but you're not currently living in the promised land. You are a slave. It's the same scenario that happens for Adam and Eve in the garden. Where they're in blessing. They were on the, the new life side of this thing. And then because of their decisions, because of sin entering into the world, they were separated from God. They were subjected to the kingdom of darkness. So for some of us, I think we are slaves to sin. But you're not just a slave to sin. You're a subject to everything that comes with sin. So for some of you, the truth is you have no power over your sin. And your private life is proof of that. Like the things that happen behind closed doors, the things that take place when nobody is looking, is evident that you're still in bondage and in captivity. Yeah. For others of you, you're slaves to acceptance. You'll do whatever it takes to be accepted by other people. Others of us are slaves to religion, and we feel like if we just follow the rules, if we go to church, if we look perfect on the outside, then everything will be okay, and it's just another form of slavery. God desires to give you and I freedom and power over our sin. Amen. What we believe wholeheartedly when we read Scripture is that salvation is instantaneous, but deliverance is a process. And for some of us, we haven't joined God on the journey of letting Him remove the mess, even though He saved us eternally. The second thing is that God sends someone to rescue us from slavery. You can't do it on your own. You need a representative. So what God does is God sends Moses for the Israelite people. He chooses to use a man to stand before Pharaoh and plead for their freedom on his behalf. And just as Moses would plead for the freedom of these Israelite people, Moses is a depiction of Jesus. He will always be a depiction of Jesus. 
all throughout Scripture, if you want probably one of the best pieces of advice I could give you this morning is open God's Word and read it through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It's, it's all about Jesus. Moses stands before Pharaoh pleading for these people's freedom. Jesus comes and stands before the kingdom of darkness, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, he wins freedom for you and I. He does all the work. He pays the full price. You and I can't help ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of the mess that we're currently in. Only Jesus can lead you out of this. We need someone to rescue us. For the Israelites, now what God does is God parts the Red Sea. It's incredible. Moses lifts his staff up because what we don't want is people to think that the wind just happened to blow in the right direction and the water parted. So God instructs Moses through an angel to lift up his staff. And as he raises his staff, the water parts on both sides, leaving dry ground in the middle. Now that's miraculous because it should be, the ground should at least be wet from all the water. It's not. It's dry ground. They start walking through it. Coolest aquarium you've never had to pay for, right? Like, I mean... Water, both sides, everything's there. They're walking through, entering into the promise of God, but they had to follow Moses through the water. So they're following Moses. They get to the other side, and then all of a sudden they turn around and realize, hey, they're still being chased. There's still something that's taking place. There's there's still people who are pursuing them. If their old life catches up to them, they're going to be dragged back into captivity, back into slavery, back into bondage, and there's no way for them to get out of it. They're standing, watching their enemy, watching the people who have the ability to enslave them again come after them. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 27. So Moses stretched his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Notice that this is not Moses' victory. It's the Lord's victory. Right. Baptism is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. But here's what baptism does symbolically. Your old life is washed away through baptism, allowing you to walk into new life. This is the beauty of baptism. Exodus chapter 17, here's what we see. We see a man and a group of people who are stuck in bondage and captivity. One side of the water, old life. Other side of the water, new life. And by simply following Moses through the water, the Lord washed away their old life, allowing them to enter into the promised land that God has. Now, there's a whole other message in this because what would happen over the course of the next 40 years is that just because you get out of Egypt doesn't mean Egypt's out of you. And what should have been a 14-day journey took 40 years because of the inability to surrender to the promises of God. We'll talk about that in another week. But by simply crossing through the water... Their old life gets washed away. In verse 30 of Exodus chapter 14, you can read it when you get home. It it says that all of the bodies of the Egyptians were washed up onto the shore. Because what you really need to know is that your old life is covered. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's been made a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 
The beauty of baptism is that you finally get afforded the opportunity to step into new life. Yes, Jesus has saved you, but if your faith is private, it's not faith. Faith was never intended to be private. Jesus said no one lights a lamp and and then hides it under a basket. He puts it on a stand for everyone to see. And as long as the enemy keeps you in darkness, he still has control. But the moment you go public with your faith, the moment you not follow Moses through the water, you follow Jesus through the water of baptism. Colossians says that as you're buried with Christ, as you go under the water, you are buried with Christ in his death and you're raised to new life in him. That's the power of baptism. For some of you, you've been stuck and you've been powerless to the sin that you have. You've already said yes to Jesus. He saved you. But it's time to stop having private faith and it's time to go public with your decision to follow Jesus. I want to talk to one group of people in here for a moment because a second ago we talked about how God sends someone to buy us out of slavery. So what you and I need to understand is that happens only through Jesus. We are in bondage. We are in sin. We, we have a debt that's on our life. And God sends Jesus to live a sinless life, to die in our place, so that in him we can have new life. Jesus is the only way that you and I escape the captivity of sin. And so today, for just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, I want to give you an opportunity. Because I think there are some of you in here who maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus before. And you've been trying to figure it out on your own. You've been trying to work through your own mess, your own mistakes, your own issues. And, and you've, you've really tried to be the savior of your own life. God sent a savior for you. And by simply believing in him, the sin debt that you have on your life is covered. And what scripture says is that he places the Holy Spirit inside of you, giving you the ability to overcome all sin. So if that's you this morning and you say, hey, I, I'm tired of trying to rescue myself. I'm, I'm tired of, of being the savior of my own life and I know that I need someone to rescue me. And you want to place your hope in Jesus today? Would you just simply lift your hand for a moment to boldly say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see that. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one prays alone. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, will you stand to your feet and help me celebrate with those people who just made decisions for Jesus? I believe, though, there's also a group of us here today who... You've said yes to Jesus, but you haven't been obedient to follow through baptism. James 4, 17 says, if you know something, if, if God speaks to you and tells you something to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And so there's three typical reasons why people choose to not get baptized. And, and the first one is, well, my parents baptized me as a baby. Here's what we read in scripture, that baptism always happens after salvation. 
So in Scripture, we don't see infant baptism take place. In fact, infant baptism was birthed in a time where babies are dying at, were dying at a rapid rate, and it was given as an opportunity to give hope to parents. But the truth is, baptism happens after salvation. And so if you were baptized as an infant, but you haven't been baptized since you've made the decision to follow Jesus for yourself, you need to be baptized today. And you're not standing in contradiction of the decision your parents made. You're standing in confirmation of it. You're saying, I made the decision to follow Jesus with my life, and I want the world to know about it. Another reason that people don't get baptized is they, they ask questions like, why? Why do I have to get baptized? Because God said so. And here's what I know. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I've never had an argument with God in one. I just haven't. Why? Because God knows what you need. And what you need is a community of believers to celebrate with you. That your faith is not private, but your faith is public. And truthfully, some of you need to go through and go public with your faith in baptism so you actually have accountability in your life for the things that you do and the way you live. There's power in taking a next step. And the third one is I'm praying about it. The good news is, if it's a command that you and I have in Scripture, we don't have to pray about whether or not we should do it. The Lord says, take care of the orphans and the widows. I don't have to pray about whether or not I should do that. I should do that. Baptism is no different. So there's some people in here, and they're scheduled for baptism, and they're ready to go. But there's others of you who came, and, and maybe through the, this message, maybe through hearing God's word, you're, you're like, I, I think I need to get baptized today. What we want you to know at Propel Church, we believe in removing every barrier, every obstacle that would stand in your way of being obedient to do what God has asked you to do. And so you may not be prepared to get baptized today, but we're completely prepared for you. And so in this bag, what I have is if you you came and you say, hey, I want to get baptized today, in just a second, you're going to have the opportunity to exit the auditorium and, oh, I don't have another t-shirt. Well, we got a t-shirt for you. Oh, oh, I appreciate it, Pastor, but you know, I ain't got no underwear. We got underwear for you. Oh, no, I didn't wear no shorts. We got shorts for you. Ladies, there's stuff for your hair and all that other stuff in, in the women's. I just thought I probably shouldn't throw feminine products at you this morning, just being honest. We're completely prepared for you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pray for a second. I want you to ask God, do I need to get baptized today? Let's pray. Hey, God, I, I love you so much, and I uh, come here with my brothers and sisters in Christ right now, and, and we're asking the question, do we need to get baptized? Lord, I pray you'd speak clearer than ever. And if you heard yes, here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three, and then whether you're scheduled to get baptized or you're not scheduled to get baptized and you're choosing to get baptized today, you're going to have the opportunity to exit your row and walk straight out into the auditorium. And in the lobby, you're going to have the opportunity to change clothes. There's a team out there ready to take care of you. And then in just a second, we're going to give you time to change, and we're going to come out there and we're going to worship and celebrate this decision you've made. So if you need to get baptized today, whether you're scheduled or not, I'm going to count to three, and then you're going to be released. One, hey, God, thank you so much for the obedience and the power to do what you're asking us to do. Two, I pray courage and boldness would rise up. Three, come on, church, can you help me celebrate with those exiting right now? Amen. People are leaving. 
Awesome. Come on. Yes. Oh, man. I love baptism weekends so much because I think baptism is one of those opportunities for you and I to see that God is still moving. There's a ton of darkness in the world. There's a ton of things. You can scroll through social media, you can see, and it looks like, man, there's no hope. Baptism Sundays show me that, man, the Lord is still moving so powerfully in our midst. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing one more song, and then at the end of this, you're going to be released into the lobby to um, celebrate baptism with these people. There's space on the floor for you to stand. There's also space on the balcony for you to watch baptism as well. And I would just encourage you, um, as they go under the water and they come back up, celebrate louder than you've ever celebrated before because it's something to be celebrated. So let me